So have you ever been to the beach here on 30A and said to yourself, I need more, more content about 30A flying at me like a flock of bread chasing seagulls. Well, now you can get it daily using the 30A app for iPhone, Android, and iPad. Now you can be at the beach all the time. Find our app in the app store, search 30A, that's three zero and the letter A. Live from the 30A Radio Airstream Studios, it's the 30A Show, presented by 30acottages.com. 30A Radio celebrates the small-town beach life we enjoy here along Florida's scenic Highway 30A. Here's your host, Corey Davis, with 30A Radio. Do you know who I am? I'm kind of a big deal. What's going on, everybody? It's Corey with the 30A Show. We've got a great show today because we brought in a marine biologist to talk about anything in the water and stuff that's good for you, bad for you, all kinds of stuff. And he also does something on the side that's really, really cool. And you're going to want to hear about it. Uh, I want you to know that 30A Cottage is one of our premier sponsors of the 30A Show and 30A Radio. You can book your Songwriter Fest house right now for January with 30A Cottages. Uh, you can get a home in Rosemary, Seagrove. Near Seaside and Watercolor available homes right now for the weekend of January 13th through the 17th, right in the heart of all the Songwriter Festival areas. You can head to 38 Cottages right now or call them at 850-468-0006. Get booked. Songwriter Fest is good this year and spring break is right around the corner as well. So go ahead and do that. We are in the water here on 30A constantly, right? Your impression of 30A and the employees that we work with that uh, we just go to the water all the time and uh, it's just beautiful. It's always great down here. The emerald waters are fantastic and there's little creatures in there and plankton mm -hmm. and uh, there's just uh, we get red tide every once in a while. Very rare, but we do get it. And uh, we just kind of wanted to pull a marine biologist in here and let's talk about what's in the water around here, especially with the reef system that we're putting in around here that's just blossoming and uh, Suarez is doing a great job with that. So I've got Joe. Uh, Joe is a marine biologist, and where did you study? I uh, studied at uh, University of uh, West Florida for my. Ma I took my master's in fishery science there. Okay. Before that time, I did my bachelor's at Texas State in Texas. Nice. Okay. What's the yeah. difference between the beaches from Texas to over here? Well. It's interesting you say that because a lot of people don't know why we have blue water. And if you go down to Mississippi or Texas, they have brown water. There's just kind of like this mystery. But you have to understand that we get a push from the Gulf Stream. And with rotating currents, that push pushes most of the material that comes out of the Mississippi west down the Texas coast. And so we get that break off from the Gulf Stream, and part of it goes through uh, along the Bahamas, and part of it comes straight up to us. So we get some tropicals and some blue water and some really amazing creatures out here that no other place in the Gulf has. Yeah, absolutely. I always thought it was the Mississippi River. You know, <laughs> right. isn't that what it is? It's it's a lot of it is from the Mississippi River, right? The material and the 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 sediment or the, the stuff sediment, that's in the water. But, yeah, the, what's in the water though is it's it's odd because the sediments that come out of the Mississippi they flow down the Texas coast, and we get a lot of the quartz and material that come from the Appalachians, and they're grind the ground down, and they flow through the Appalachia Appalachian River. And then we get that white quartz sand. And so it's heavy, and it brings a lot of the material out of the water. And that's why our water is emerald and blue. So when we replenish our beaches around here from storms, you have to go out in the Gulf to get it. Is there just an endless supply of white sand out there waiting on us? 
Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty right. much. Yeah, it, it's mixed with some sediment from the ocean and dead material and things like that. But once it once it's laid out on the beach, it bleaches out, and that's why we have that white quartz, beautiful sand. Very cool. So marine biologists in the house, my brain is just going crazy right now. Um, <laughs> let's go back to uh, where you're from. You're from the area. You live here on 30A. Where? Well, I live right about uh, half a mile from here, where okay. we're, we're near Gulf Place, and uh, I guess that's considered Dune Allen. Yeah. We always consider it Gulf Place side, right. but but we live here, and the reason we chose this area is because when I came up here in college for spring break, I noticed how it was unusual, and it was white beach and blue water, and so from that point on, when I was a young man, I decided, hey, I want to go to school in Pensacola and, and live in this area, and then I moved to South Florida for a while and decided to come back up here because it's so unique and so different. And it's not South Florida. That's um, right. <laughs> That's right. So, okay, so you uh, did that. You went over to Texas, and uh, you decided to be a marine biologist. I can tell you this. When I was in high school, mm -hmm. uh, the the you know, the, my brain was always going, how do I become a marine, marine biologist? And I was like, I'm going to go to the University of Miami. And then i like, yeah, let's go there. They have a good marine yeah. biologist department down there. Right. And, uh, they're just spitting them out left and right down there, and you can go to the Keys, and you can work with animals, and that was all cool. Then I saw the curriculum, and then I didn't want to do it. So how hard was marine biology school? It, it's not that it was hard. The question is, is how can I make a living right. doing this? Yeah. So that was a big question. Uh, I think that most young people, I always say this, most young people when they're around uh, seven or eight, especially boys, either want to be a marine biologist or an astronaut. Yeah. And, uh, and so... At some time in their life, they figure that they, they can't e either can't be an astronaut or they can't make a living at marine science, so they go a different direction. I think that never changed for me. I was willing to starve, basically, sure. uh, and be a marine biologist. Um, but that didn't happen. I, I originally went uh, to university or Texas State University, and then from that point on, I found a job uh, working for the National Marine Fisheries Service out of Alaska on those boats that people see and show oh, deadliest mama. jobs. Yeah. And I saw some nasty, nasty seas. But at the same time, I saw some really strange things. Like one time uh, in 1988, the fishermen had pulled something up on the dock or the they'd pulled something up on the boat and they called me down from the top of the boat and, and I came out and they emptied their 10 tons of fish and out came this Goliath or giant squid. Wow. And it was approximately about 40 feet long and had giant eyes and giant tentacles. And up until that point, I had no idea that scientists had really had never seen one alive. Well, it was kicking and jumping around on the deck and so I started collecting all the different parts of it. You, you pulled your iPhone out and filmed it, right? <laughs> well, not, yeah, the not exactly. No, yeah, there's no documentation yeah, of it. No, I, so did this really happen or not? No. It, it, it did. I, I uh, called uh, radio. Back then it was faxing, basically, yeah. National Marine Fishery Service. And I said, what do you want me to do? And they're like, collect the eyes, collect the beak, collect the tentacles, put them all in your jar, and bring everything back to us. Oh, so it wasn't tag and release of the giant squid. Mm. You, you uh, gave it to science. I did. The reason reason being is because up to that point, they had seen very few, if any. And nobody uh, on deck wanted to get near it, so no. you're like, just get rid of it. <laughs> exactly. It's got to be bad luck. Exactly. But uh, I really enjoyed my times in Alaska working uh, in that area. We saw amazing creatures. We saw things like blue whales and wow. orcas all the time and strange creatures that we'd pull up. And, uh, and it, it was the only job that would pay decent for a marine biologist. And so that's why I took that job. It was hazard pay. It was. 
<laughs> I, back in the 80s, I was earning about 2500 to 3000 a month uh, doing that job. Wow. And uh, all, pay, all expenses paid. And, and then I had to sign a waiver saying if I never made it back, then I'm on my own. And every, every year, they would lose a marine biologist or two that would go overboard or tossed overboard because we were the eyes and ears of the government on these fishing boats. And then mm. we, weren't, we weren't the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> so. But you did find a huge squid, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Man, what, what I would give to be able to see that with an iPhone right now, that would be viral. <laughs> exactly. That's cool. So you got off the boats, which was probably a great yep. career move. Yeah. And uh, so what do you do around here if you're a marine biologist? Well, I... I actually started my own company uh, several years ago, and we started taking students to uh, students and individuals and scout teams and families to Costa Rica, and we would do marine science programs and rainforest studies. We'd compare both biomes because they are like the living ecosystems of, of ones of the terrestrial community, ones of the ocean. So we started taking students to Costa Rica and different destinations that usually have a marine science element to it. But we also uh, would have service programs. So so the students and families and kids and the scouts, all the people would get involved in, in helping that uh, global community or helping with conservation and sustainable uh, programs. That's very cool. And you've actually did something kind of cool with that program. Now it's actually a nonprofit that you kind of tie into locally here. Isn't that correct? Well, we're in the process of doing that. Okay. So we have now uh, started opening up our program for families and, and uh, different groups of people to go on trips abroad or within the United States. I mean, we go to Yellowstone and we study the different sea levels in Grand Canyon and we take people to Belize and everything has some sort of connection to the ocean in one way or another. But we, we are starting a program uh, this next summer, and it's going to be a marine science laboratory that helps with teach young people and families and people from around here and underprivileged children about the ocean world that we have. Because most people don't understand how unique these coastal dune lakes are. They don't understand the push from the Gulf Stream brings us tropical fish. They don't understand how fragile and unique this system is. So we're really kind of planning a vision in the lives of either underprivileged children, families who come here, other people to really protect our seas. And so we're wanting them to uh, get involved with touch tanks, holding different species, doing plankton uh, t toes, uh, studying sea turtles and dolphins and sharks, and all branched from our Grayton Beach Laboratory Center. That's very, I love that. Can mm -hmm. I come to the Grayton Beach Laboratory Center? Where is that? That is, is, is that right. Your is your bedroom? Well, <laughs> it's an, <laughs> not exactly. It's not there? Okay. <laughs> we are going to be right next to Modus oh, uh, cool. okay. Gallery and where Hurricanes Oyster Bar is. We're oh, that's the current cool. development of that. And so we're raising funds right now to build the touch tanks okay. and, uh, and build all the laboratory stuff. And then we're going to open it up for foster care children and uh, children in need in this area who we can paint a vision and really kind of encourage them to uh, get involved, a vision for their life, just like I was when I was a young person wanted to be a marine biologist, but I had struggles, and that vision kind of kept me on path. You guys are probably following the progress of the South Walton uh, Reef Association's reefs. Uh, we have the good one out there right now at Graydon Beach. I think one's going in now. Is there another one that's getting installed right now? I had heard that Miramar Beach is putting one in as well. They're ready to go. Okay. Yep. And so this laboratory is going to be kind of a branch 
uh, or launching point to, to study that as well. We're going to be studying the marine creatures found in the bay, in the coastal dune lakes, on the artificial reefs. Uh, and so we're going to really kind of tie all this in. You can't always get to the reef, but you can get to all these different uh, ecosystems as well. So, so it's going to be studying all the tie-ins and how they interact with each other, how the coastal dune lakes feed the artificial reefs, how the bay provides nutrients and nursery systems for smaller fish and all the different species that live out on the reefs. Right. I know Andy Mac-Alexander and Jim Richard are extremely excited at the progress of the Great Beach Reef right, right now. Are you surprised that it's coming along so fast? No, I was expecting that. Anytime you, anytime you put artificial reef out there or you you sink metal or something to that effect, you see a quick bloom. And I've, I've been analyzing that reef over the last uh, year, kind of seeing a growth. I saw blooms of comb jellies followed by sea nettles, and they were all feeding on the uh, plankton and the, and the zooplankton that are all centered around that. So it's becoming its own really li living a living reef. It's really neat. And there's, from the last couple of times we've been out there, we've seen sea turtles too. Wow. I did go out in May one time, and, and I've, I've noticed a progression that occurs. Uh, when the juvenile fish come in uh, in May, a lot of them come in from the deeper waters when it starts to warm up, a lot of the predators start feeding on them until they're all gone. So May, we were out there and we saw a lot of spinner sharks. Oh, cool. And I was out right on the reef and saw probably a 150-pound spinner shark jump out of the water 10 feet away from me. And uh, we saw about eight sharks that day. But that's normal. Yeah. Normal. They feed on that until the bait fish are gone. And then by the time the tourists are, gone, are out here, it's pretty, it's pretty mellow. And, you know, you see sea turtles and a few other species on there. All right. So let's, uh, let's rock the boat here a little bit. Let's talk about <laughs> sharks. Right? Uh, that's right. On, on, uh, on a regular spring, summer day around here, what is here? What, what can you expect not to see? Because you're not going to probably see them in the first place. But what do we have around here? Well, the most common sharks you have, especially along our coast, people think that there's just bull sharks Everywhere. ready to bite your leg off. That's right, yeah. You know, but the most common sharks you're going to find are black tips, uh, spinner sharks. You're going to have some sandbar sharks. And that's probably 90% of the uh, sharks out here. Nurse and sharks. Nurse. Oh, in the warm summer, you have some nurse sharks. But these are all fish eaters. Yeah. And the meaning that a majority of the time... 90% of their diet's going to be fish, not humans. Every once in a while, you'll see a bull shark, especially when it's snapper season, they hang around some of the artificial deeper reefs, not the shallow reefs, and, and when people are fishing on them, you'll, you'll see some of those. But that's not the common. You see some tigers and some makos, but but that's the outlier sharks. I was in uh, on Oakless Island uh, in, at the top of my parents' condo, and the firemen regularly go up there to check things out, make sure the fire extinguishers are there. And right. we were in the pool, and they all started looking at something on the water. And I was like, what do you got? And he goes, oh, there's a shark. And I, it, and I was like, how often do you see sharks? He goes, every time we come up here. Yeah. And, and there were people all in the water, and they never know. Yeah, they're they just don't. there. And so a shark's daily life is not looking for us, mm -hmm. correct? That's right. I was in the Keys. I was in the Keys about eight years ago. We do marine science trips down to the Keys and Crystal River with the manatees with our students and our different people. And we have kids in the water and we're studying marine science out there. And they had a photograph uh, above all these people in the water and probably 100 people out on the reef. It was Alligator Reef out okay, there. Yeah. 
and they counted about 14 sharks that were eight plus in feet in length, about 100 yards from the people. And they had no inkling to come and feed on the people. Right. Because normally their diet is not people. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a funny story on the Keys. This happened a couple years ago. We had about 40 uh, kids down on the reef, and there was this one uh, one student who did not want to get in the water. All the kids had swam on the reef, and I was on a boat looking at the back of the boat, looking in the water, and it was clear day. I mean, you could see 40 feet below you. The reef was there. It was gorgeous. It was blue, blue water. And I had four teachers on my starboard side, about 30 feet away in the water still. They, could get, they couldn't get enough of it. It, right, was, right. it was an amazing day. And I look up uh, to the top deck of the boat, and this young girl who's about 10 has got her mouth look, open, <laughs> looking down in the water, and she sees something. At the same time, the kid who didn't want to get in the water finally jumps in the water and as he jumps in the water, a spotted eagle ray that had a 10-foot wingspan hits his legs, full bore going probably 15 knots underneath the boat. Well, what she, that girl above uh, saw was a, a 12-foot hammerhead chasing the spotted eagle ray right next to the boat. <laughs> and the eagle ray hit my kid. And the immediate thing the captain says is, I need all your people in the boat right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's awesome. So, you know, those things happen. I, I was also in the Galapagos with the 18 scouts last year, and I'm down at 90 feet, and I had heard that there are a bunch of hammerheads on this reef in the, in the Galapagos. And, and so I had my GoPro on, and I was down there 90 feet, and I was coming around a ridge at where I'd heard these hammerheads were at. And uh, I decided to hold my breath, which you're not supposed to do when you scuba dive. No, you got to breathe. But the sound is always whistling when you're scuba diving, and it kind of makes the sharks move away from you. So I decide to hold my breath, and I'm filming right over this ridge, and these two hammerheads that were just, I mean, it looked like their heads were three feet across, and their bodies were at least 10 feet long, were coming right at me, and they got to be about two feet away from me, and I went, <laughs> and they immediately saw me and ran off, and I'm filming as they're, as they're going by, and it looked like a truck passing me. That's how wide they were, and and I was like, now that is an amazing experience. I can't imagine that. That's uh, that's your shark update for 30A, uh, <laughs> brought to you by Joe, the marine biologist here. Uh, he is accredited and has a degree, so he's telling you not to worry about it when you come down here. That's right. Yeah. What are the really small things in the water you'd be surprised that uh, might do you more harm than a shark? Well, in the water, you have a lot of bits and pieces from uh, jellyfish. Mm-hmm. You have some uh, also what's called uh, rhizomes and sea feathers that come off of the artificial reefs. And when people kick it or kick around the, the artificial reefs, they'll release some of those and then they'll sting a little. And so it bothers you. But most of the time, the only thing you need to kind of be cautious about are sea nettles. Yeah. Uh, most of the jellyfish we have around here make you itch, and for about 30 minutes, you'll be a little uncomfortable. But it's not anything unusual. And, I mean, there's all kinds of other beautiful fish. We have blue chromuses in the water that are the beautiful little fish with blue tops. And we have rock beauties, and we have sergeant majors. And when you go out to the reef everybody's kind of looking for the big thing. They're looking for the sea turtles. Right. But if you 
if you calm yourself down and just sit right over one of these pillars, you're going to see so much wildlife interacting. And a lot of these, a lot of these are, are uh, sea urchins and jellyfish and, and starfish. And, and most of them are very small, but, but yeah. it's really neat to see their interaction. And the coolest thing is, is when you get back on shore, you're like, that happens out there every day. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. They don't care about politics or anything. Yeah. They're going to swim around there, and they're going to eat, and they're just going to go do their thing in the water. That's right. That's right. right. That's exactly right. That's yeah. super cool. So if people wanted to figure out the Appleseed Expedition part, yeah. to, how, how do people find you for this? Well, we if you go on to our website at appleseedexpeditions.com, you'll see a family section under there. This July, late July, we're doing a uh, family trip to Costa Rica where okay. families would learn about the rainforest, learn about the uh, marine ecology out there, volunteer at a local school, help plant rainforest trees in the area, volunteer with a wildlife rescue center that cares for monkeys and displaced uh, animals from the forest, and and really kind of see uh, Costa Rica in its finest moment with with things like whitewater rafting and zip lining. But what's interesting is most people are excited about doing all those adventure things, but they come back on that trip and they're like, the thing that touched me the most was mentoring the children from from uh, Nicaragua or caring for the wildlife at that center. It really touches their life. Do you have one success story of somebody has taken the trip to Costa Rica, they've come back to the States and done just something and you kind of you had the aha moment, like, that's why we're doing this? Yeah, I... I've had people come back and say, look, from that experience that I did in Costa Rica, I started, I came back to my school and I was, I was brainstorming and we thought, you know what, we need to develop programs at our school that are conservation centered, that help save water elements. Or uh, like I was telling you earlier, they, they did a program where they collected uh, all these K-cups and started planting seedlings. And certain schools won the Green Award for doing that. And so they go on these trips and they're like, okay, how can I use this experience and come back to my school or come back to my community and develop something that helps the community or get involved in my community? Very neat. So on a marine biologist budget, how do you get families and people to go to Costa Rica? How, How does that happen? Where do you get the funds for this? Well, generally, we set a price uh, for a trip, okay. and we say it's going to cost like like our Costa Rica trip for next summer is like two thousand one hundred ninety five, twenty one ninety five. Okay, and then we say what you can do is you can extend your payments, put a deposit down, and then extend it over several months. Some people choose to do like uh, Fund My Travel, which is a crowdfunding program that sends out letters saying, "Hey, support me on this service trip," and we're actually working with that company to make it. Uh, where it's tied into our company and they can automatically do it. But but some people do that, and there's many different ways to do uh, fundraising for that. Okay. So, yeah, yeah it's a volunteer fundraising uh, vacation in That's essence. Right. Yep. And you come back inspired to do things like you're doing around here. Uh, what do you need personally for the project you have going on at Great Beach right now? Well, everything. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are currently... Uh, in the process of getting our nonprofit. That sh- that's coming in the next few weeks. Okay. Then we are going to be raising funds to build our uh, touch tank. We're going to have a Cassiopeia upside-down jellyfish tank, which where people are going to be able to interact with jellyfish, hold jellyfish. We're going to have a seat to horse tank. We're going to have microscopes. We're going to do things like hermit crab studies there. Cool. And it's all going to be hands-on. And, yeah. uh, and then we're going to go out 
to the coastal dune lakes and to the reef and do net pulls and bring them back, a lot of those species back to our labs and analyze them under the scopes. And then we're also going to uh, be doing a program where we take them out on a shrimp boat. And we're going to do net pulls from behind the shrimp boat and see all the different species we pull up. But so so we're we're raising funds. We're trying okay. to make that happen. You're, so, doing the, you're doing the media gauntlet and you're trying to get the word out there. So we'll do right. our best on our end to help you guys promote that. All I ask is uh, you send me information and we will disseminate it for you. That's great. Anybody awesome. who wants to help, let me know. Cool. What is your favorite part about the 30A area as a marine biologist? What's so cool about it? Like I said before, the push from the Gulf Stream makes this area beautiful blue. But the biggest thing I like is that if you go to different parts of Florida, it's a lot of it has been developed. And a lot of the natural coastal dune areas have been taken down. And mangroves have been cut down. And so it's really hard to get into the natural ecosystem that's that's been preserved. 30A has done a great job with that. They have developed this area where they restore or protect the coastal dune lakes. They're helping preserve the ocean environment. And people are on board to do that. You don't have this fight of let's develop, develop, develop. Although there is, I think they're doing it in a sustainable manner that's better than most of Florida. So when you come up here, this is what Florida originally looked like. White beaches, blue water, coastal dune lakes that were untouched. And so when I go to the Keys and I go to Crystal River, I'm like, okay, overdevelopment, overdevelopment. Our area, untouched, still beautiful, like it would have been a long time ago. Uh, on a side note, the Crystal River experience to go see Manatee is quite amazing, but it is kind of weird paddling through all the neighborhoods to get to the Manatee. That's it's very right. odd. <laughs> it People is. are like having their coffee. They're like, look at these dudes in wetsuits out here looking at manatees, waking up. It's crazy. Yep. And, and, you know, you, as a marine biologist, I'm looking at all this blue-green algae and all this uh, material in the water that shouldn't be there, and I'm like, this is due to overdevelopment. And we yeah. come out here, and when you scuba dive out here or snorkel, it's some of the largest species in all of Florida. You see Goliath grouper when you're out there. You see sea turtles on our artificial reefs, and, and you just don't have that. And it's partly because you just don't have a ton of pressure on them. Yeah, that's so true. I'm with Joe. He's a marine biologist. He lives locally. He's one of the people in your neighborhood, folks. All you got to do is start talking to people, and there's just cool people around every corner. Joe is a great um, giant squid hunter, and he is with (laughs) Appleseed Expeditions. That's ridiculous. That's not true. That's not true. It just happened to be on the deck and... Yeah, I do have one story. Let me finish with one story. And I do want to make sure that our listeners know you do not hunt Giant I do squids. not hunt giant squid. That's radio banter, and it was. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was uh, I was with Modus Photography Chandler last year in I know, Hawaii. I know that guy. Yep, I totally know him. He does a lot of our video and photography when we're out and about. He's a better surfer. He, he's a good. He's a better surfer than me. <laughs> Just I'll say that. I love Chandler. Go ahead. So one morning when we were in Kona, it was a flat day, and we had. Worked with a group all week long, taking them up to volcanoes and teaching them marine science with the sea turtles. And I had the morning off. And he goes, Joe, let's go out paddleboard out to out into the open ocean just for morning. See what we see. And I was just like, I was hesitant. I'm like, ah, all right, I'm tired, but okay, I'll do it for you, Chandler. And uh, and so Chandler has a way about him. He gives you a big surfer grin, and you're just like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So we go out, and uh, he's filming, and he always has got his camera on hand. Sure. And so he's filming on this little tiny rock, and I get in the water. He's having problems filming underwater with this new fancy camera he has. So I'm trying to hold it and stabilize or do something with it. And uh, 
And all of a sudden, I hear something underwater. And I come up, and I'm like, there's whales in the water. I know. And he's like, how do you know? And I'm like, I know. I know when I hear whales in the water. And sure enough, we turn around, and we see a fluke about half a mile. So we decide to go out, paddleboard about a half mile to a mile out there. And just it was keep a, swimming. Just yeah, keep swimming. It was, it was flat. It was beautiful. And as we're out there, <laughs> we're on our paddleboards, and a giant humpback whale jumps out of the water right next to us. The, the whale's the size of a bus and just slams the water. And my knees start shaking. I'm like, okay, we better get on our knees here because I'm thinking this coming. whale does not know we're here on these paddleboards. And uh, so it was really a unique experience. And Chandler did get a picture of the whales passing by. One was a female whale with her baby passing right by our paddleboards. And wow. He, to this day, calls that Joe's whale. Yeah. Could have been Joe's funeral is what it sounds like. It could have been. <laughs> well, man, I really appreciate you dropping by the Airstream yeah. and uh, uh, coming and talking with us. We would definitely want to get back with you as you get closer to maybe an event to support your studio that's going to yep. be over there at the center. Uh, and definitely any after-hours action that I can come in there and touch and you know play with the, the, the wildlife over there. It's going to be amazing. And uh, yep. if you see any giant squid around 38, please let me know. That's a, that's a good hashtag. Uh, hashtag giant squid hunter. Giant squid, yeah. So thank you so much. And uh, thank you to Motive Photography Chandler for getting us in touch with each other. Yep. Uh, and I uh, really appreciate you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. The 38 Show with Corey and Laura, presented by 38cottages.com. Catch The 38 Show Fridays, 7 a.m., Sundays, 10 a.m., and 6 p.m., or via podcast on 38.com. Inside our free 30A app for iPhone and Android, iTunes podcast app, and on Apple TV. Stinky's Fish Camp, waterfront dining in Dune Allen Beach. With a name like Stinky's, it better be good. Stinky'sFishCamp.com.